If you're visiting with us uh, today, we're thrilled that you're here to be a part of our service here at Grace. And uh, we've come to worship the Lord, and uh, we, we can do that together. What a privilege that is to be able to, to worship Him uh, together. It's really just a prelude of heaven and, um, and what we'll do uh, there in heaven. And so if, you, if you're with the thought of what we're going to do in heaven, are we going to be bored? We're never going to be bored. We're going to be worshiping the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords and hearing from Him. And so uh, this morning, we want to uh, begin our service uh, by reading some scripture. And so I'd like for you to stand. Uh, turn to Revelation, the first chapter. We'll read the first eight verses. Revelation chapter 1. The revelation of Jesus Christ which God gave him to show to his bondservants the things which must shortly take place. And he sent and communicated it by his angel to his bondservant, John, who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all that he saw. Blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of the prophecy and heed the things which are written in it, for the time is near. Do you know there are a lot of people that um, steer clear of Revelation? <laughs> that, that's really too bad because there is truly a blessing as you read through to understand that there's a plan in place and has been. And one day it culminates with Jesus Christ uh, coming. And so as, we, as, as he's going to refer to in just a minute. Verse 4, John to the seven churches that are in Asia, grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come and from the seven spirits who are before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth, to him who loves us and released us from our sins by his blood. And he has made us to be a kingdom, priest to his, to his God and Father, to him be the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Amen. Verse 7, Behold, he is coming. With the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. This is, here is referring to the second coming. And all the tribes of the earth will mourn over him, even so, amen. Verse 8, I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. May the Lord bless his word this morning. Father, we want to thank you so much for the time that we have together. Just a few moments this morning to be able to, to worship you. <clears throat> we, each of us have had different weeks. Um, they look different. Um, maybe our minds are on the, even the, the week ahead of us. And, and so it's potentially we're distracted even as we come into this place today. And so I pray that you would remove those distractions from us and that we would be able to focus intently on your word this morning and on who you are and how you have revealed yourself through your word. And we just appreciate so much the freedom that we have uh, to worship. And there are many around the world uh, who don't have that freedom, and yet we still do. And so we don't take that for granted. I pray we don't. And I pray that we're ever thankful, ever thankful for every breath that you because truly, every breath that we take is by your grace. 
So this morning as we worship you, I pray that we do so in spirit and in truth and that you're honored this morning above all. In the name of Christ, I pray. Just your name is power. 
this last song is just a kind of a statement or a prayer about Christ's return. And, uh, you know, Thad read it just a few minutes ago. It says, Even so, come. And that's the name of the song.
can't help but think as you sing through those songs about the coming of the Lord. Um, are you ready for His coming? I don't know. I mean, I think that um, I was thinking about that. This wasn't part of my sermon, so I'm just kind of thinking through what we just sang. and I was thinking, you know... Um, How's the Lord going to find us, right? I mean, are we really ready for His coming? It's obvious that if you read the New Testament, um, Paul and the other apostles felt like they were going to see Him, right? And I think it's important that we always distinguish between the rapture and the second coming. There's a difference. Scripture alludes to that and you... You know, I think a lot of confusion exists even in the church about that. About the difference between the rapture and the second coming of Christ. And hopefully as we go through Second Peter chapter 3, we're going to kind of clear up some of that. But as we were singing the song, especially that last one, like, uh, I began to think about my own life in terms of, of what, what, um, <laughs> what goes through my mind on a daily basis. Um, am I really looking forward to the return of Christ? I mean, I'm just telling you what went through my mind. And um, I think that we're kind of divided, maybe. Um, you know, I think we want Christ to come, right? We look forward to heaven. We look forward to his presence. Man, earth can get you kind of trapped, can it? I mean, it just happens. I mean, you, you go through life, and you're like, I really like this, and I really like that, and I really like this, and I wish this would never go away. <laughs> um, but it's going to go away. All of it's going to go away. It's all going to be destroyed, and we're going to see that as we go through Second Peter 3. It's all going to be destroyed, and so, so if we know that in the future, that all of it's going to be destroyed, and Peter's kind of like leading up to that, um, how, how should we live in light of that? Um, even though he's referring to the second coming of Christ in this text, um, if we think in terms of the church... How are we living, right? Because the rapture can happen at any time. I mean, it can happen any time. I mean, there aren't like signs of that. I mean, the signs of the second coming are all over the scriptures, right? But, but the signs of the rapture, he can come any time. So I'm like, wow, he can come right now. Wouldn't that be awesome? For everybody? See, so when you think about that, the coming of Christ, right, and you think in terms of the rapture, it won't be awesome for everybody. Because there'll be plenty of people left in chaos. Can you imagine um, what it's going to be like without the Spirit of God presence in the lives of believers for periods of time? I mean, the chaos that will exist. This had nothing to do with what I originally was going to say when I first got up here. But I think it's important to think about that we don't, we don't just attend church you know, it's not just an activity in our week. It's like if you're a believer, you're, what's awesome is you're a believer every day and you're in Christ and you're secure and you can, you can develop that relationship with Christ and every day, as much as you want to. And um, that's what I was thinking about when we were singing. That 
while we look forward to his coming, it's like, man, I can enjoy, right? I'm enjoying some of the benefits of that relationship right now. And part of that is being with you guys. All right. Turn to 2 Peter 3. It's really great to see um, some new folks up here um, leading worship. I was thinking maybe I could have a spot. I was I actually had planned, pre-planned. There's this little set of, what are they, Congo drums? I can play this. Because all you got to do is just go. Just like that. That's it. You don't even have to have talent to play those, right? At least how I play them. <laughs> all right. Well, we are in chapter 3. I do with my. We are in chapter three, and um, looking for my glasses. I can't see. Lord help me. All right, we're in chapter three, and just so if like if you're visiting with us today, I just want to kind of review what we've done in the first two chapters, which has taken us a few months. Um, in the first chapter, um, Peter's focus is on their spiritual growth, growing, growing, growing in Christ. Here they are. Growing, growing, growing in Christ. And that wasn't planned either. <laughs> uh, thank you, Lord. So that's the emphasis in the first chapter, growth, growth, growth. And he wants them to grow spiritually. And so we take that and we go, well, that's what the Lord wants us to do. You know, he wants us to grow spiritually. He doesn't want us to be stagnant. We need to really develop that relationship. And in chapter 2, he warns them. He warns them about false teachers. He says, look, they're around you. Jude even says they're among you, right? They're, they're there now. And we talked about all that, and that was a pretty, um, pretty long chapter as we dealt with that and kind of looked at the description of these guys and the commitment they had to what is false. And as we come to chapter 3, uh, Peter turns his attention um, to the coming of Christ. And I just really, I have to say this, I really, as I've continued to study this book, I really appreciate the order of that. All right, grow. Keep growing. I need to warn you, as you're growing, there's people who are against Christ. But, hey, don't lose heart. He's coming. I just like that. I like that order. And it's not an accident. Right? We don't read Scripture. Well, gee, I wonder how... It's, it's in the right order. And so as you come to chapter 3, he, he really wants to focus on the coming of Christ. And he's really committed as a shepherd to to just feeding his sheep. I mean, he took that, that command that the Lord gave him in John 21, really serious, you know, shepherd my sheep. And um, shepherding sheep is not always easy, right? There's times when it's very difficult, and there are times when you have to, have to bring them back in to the fold, and there's times, right, of correction and such. And, and Peter, as he comes to chapter 3, I think he's gently reminding them that Christ is coming but then he kind of ramps it up a notch and says, hey, look, you need to think about the way you're living in light of the fact he's coming. Um, and so I just wanted to kind of run through this. I don't know how far we'll get. You know, it doesn't matter because all the verses connect. Um, but in, his, in the first verse, we saw the fact that um, as a shepherd, that Peter had a tremendous love for sheep, right? A tremendous love for sheep. And, and four times just in this chapter alone, he talks about the fact that they were beloved to him, right? And, and we, talk, we looked at that together. 
And we talked about that whole issue of a shepherd loving his sheep. And this morning, our emphasis is on waking up the sheep. <laughs> That's what Peter's wanting to do. He's wanting to wake them up. Wake up! Um, when I was in elementary school, I remember, it's funny how you can remember a few of your teachers. I remember the ones that had to discipline me for some reason. Miss Jefferson was one of those. She was my fourth grade teacher. And she had this little paddle. And um, it was probably about like that long. And if you were cutting up, she would take your hand to hold it. Right? And she would, bam, slap you. That was intended to do two things. Wake you up and change your attitude. Right? Change your direction, so to speak. Well, that's the mindset as Peter is writing to these believers here in verse 1. Notice what it says. This is now, beloved, the second letter I'm writing to you in which I am stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder. Now, these are some interesting words, and you guys know how I am in terms of defining words. I mean, they're there, and we need to understand them. So what does he mean by stirring up? He's wanting to stir them up. This word means to rouse or to wake up fully. How many of you have children that you have to rouse or wake up, right? And you're like, they're just like dead to the world. Any of you sleep like that? Right? Any of you young people sleep? Look, right there on the front row, they're volunteering. They're raising their hands. They sleep like that. Maybe you even have a spouse that sleeps like that, right? And you have to shake them. Although I've found that as you get older, man, sleep just is one of those things that doesn't happen as much. Right? You guys ever notice that? I, um, I wrote this, and I just, I don't know, I had to, I put Thaddeus at the bottom, because that's my name. But I had a thought this week about this stirring up, because that's what Peter's doing with these believers. He wants to stir them up, and we're going to see why. And it all revolves around the fact that the day of the Lord is coming, his judgment's coming, and he's coming, but... I thought, well, even though this is set in the context of looking forward to the day of the Lord, the tribulation period, the millennial kingdom and such, um, we could stand to be woken today, couldn't we? I wrote, the church needs to be shaken up more than is being done in present-day pulpits. Because I think in present-day pulpits, um, shepherds are a lot about, you know, stroking the ego of the sheep, making sure that they're going to come back the next week, and not talking about hard things, which I'm committed to talking about hard things because the apostles talked about hard things and the prophets talked about hard things and Jesus talked about hard things. And there's a way to talk about hard things. Right? You don't have to yell at your audience. There's a way to talk about it. And, and listen, the Lord loves us so much, he wants us to know about all those hard things. Um, the Lord is coming. And I, I like that last line, a lethargic or sleeping church is a vulnerable church. I'm not so certain that the church today is not just a little bit asleep. I was thinking about that this week, that one of the things the Lord has been working on in my life in this particular area of, of waking up is waking up to the fact that there are a lot of people around me that are going to hell. You know, if you go through your week, I mean, how many of you like me, like you're going through your week and you're just trying to make it to the next day? Right? You're trying to survive and, and to get all the things you need to get done on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday. And, and we're pa think about how many people, think about this for just a second, how many people were passing in a day? Just in one day, right? You go to work, 
You go to the grocery store. I love going to the grocery store. You go to the grocery store, right? You eat all these different things, and we're running by so many people. And when's the last time that the Lord, that I've just said, hey, Lord, make me aware and give me opportunities? Um, so maybe the church could stand to be prodded a little bit. Um, there's three things about this term, stir up, that's important. And because there's something here that maybe we can't see in the English. Um, Peter had already used this term. This is not something new to his audience. He had used it back in chapter 1. If you go back to chapter 1, look at verse uh, 12 of chapter 1. And remember, he had encouraged them in their spiritual growth. And verse 12 says, Therefore I shall always be ready to remind you of these things. What things? The things previous to verse 12 even though you already know them and have been established in the truth which is present with you. And I consider it right, notice what he says, as long as I am in this earthly dwelling to do what? To stir you up. To stir you up, to move you, man. Right? Any public school teachers here? Right? Any teachers? Right? Or even at home, right? If you're homeschooling, you have to stir your kids up. What's going to do that? Right? I mean, back in the day, teachers had paddles and things that they used to stir us up. Um, you know, those things are a lot gone now. Yeah, I feel sorry for public school teachers. We need to pray for them. Because there's not much they can do, right, to stir them up. But back when I was growing up, I got stirred up a lot. <laughs> Peter's saying here, listen, as long as I'm in this earthly dwelling, I've got a commitment. I'm going to stir you up. Hey guys, you know what ultimately that points back to is the Word of God. And can I tell you something encouraging for you and me? We need to be stirred to God's Word every day. And we can do that for each other. Isn't that awesome? We can do it for each other. And nobody's better. Listen, you just stir me up as well as I stir you up, right? So Peter had already used this term. Secondly, we need to know about this word stirring up. Stirring them up would be a continual activity on the part of Peter. You say, how do you know that? I'm glad you asked. It's present tense. In the original language, it's present tense, meaning this, it was a continual activity. It would be a continual activity on the part of Peter to stir them up, to wake them up, right? Um, which I like. I like that commitment that he has. I mean, I, as a father, I was committed when my boys were at home to stir them up, right? I'm going to stir them up. And as a grandfather, I'm committed to stir my grandchildren up. I'm going to stir them up every time I see them. That's my responsibility. I'm a stern. They might not like it, right? I don't think any of my boys ever said, Dad, I really love when you stir us up. And as a believer in Christ, it's not always easy to be stirred up, but we need it. Well, third about this word, it's interesting. Stirring up implies more than waking people up. It also involves taking action. It's not just waking somebody up. Right? It's not just saying, hey, listen, you believers need to wake up. Right? It's not you saying, hey, Thad, you need to wake up. It's doing beyond that. It's action. And there's a great example of this. I want you to go back to the Gospels in the Gospel of Mark in chapter 4. Mark chapter 4 is a great example of this stirring up. Now, remember in the context of 2 Peter, this is what's coming. Peter's going to stir them up. Because there are those who are in opposition, these false teachers, these scoffers who are out there saying, hey, where's the promise of his coming? He's not coming, right? 
and we're going to talk about that as we, as we go along. But that's important to keep in mind. And so he's wanting to stir them up to something. We're going to see that in just a moment. But back in Mark chapter 4, we have a, a great illustration of stirring up and kind of how that looks. Um, Mark chapter 4. Look at verse 35. Mark chapter 4, verse 35. Oh, my goodness. Mark 4, 35. It says, And on that day when evening had come, he said to them, to his disciples, Let us go over to the other side. Leaving the multitude, they took him along with them just as he was in the boat, and other boats were with him. And there arose a fierce gale of wind, and the waves were breaking over the boat so much that the boat was already filling up. And he himself was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. <laughs> right? So here you have this fierce gale of wind, this storm on the sea, and Jesus is sleeping. The Bible says, verse 38... And they awoke him. There's that word. They stirred him. But listen to me. Um, their interest wasn't just in waking him up. Right? This is what's pretty awesome about this, this account. Right? Their interest was in, hey, look, we're in trouble. Right? In fact, they even said, teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And being aroused, same term, stirred up. What did he do? What did Jesus do? Listen, he just didn't wake up, but the Bible says he did something. What did he do? The Bible says, verse 39, he rebuked the wind and said to the sea, hush, be still. What must that have been like? Wow. I mean, you have this fierce gale of wind and they could see the effects of it. This storm is on the sea. Right? And these waves are overtaking them, and they wake Jesus up, and he says, hush, be still. So the idea of the term stir is not just the idea of waking someone up, but it's the idea is that you wake them up, there's action after that that's involved. And here, in the passage in Mark chapter 4, you have the action of Christ. Not only did he wake up, but he calmed the sea. And by the way, um, just so you know that, it's a complete calm. That's the kind of God we serve. He's an awesome God, right? And so the picture there is of a stirring up, not just awakening, but a stirring up to do something, Mark chapter 4. And so what we have here in 2 Peter chapter 1, or chapter 3, is we have Peter wanting to stir up, and notice what he says, the sincere mind, your sincere mind, by way of reminder. And so the next word that we need to deal with is this or phrase is sincere mind all right it answers the question of what he's stirring up so he's, his commitment is to stir them up look at that verse one which i am stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder that word sincere mind literally means that which is sun judged <laughs> that's an interesting phrase isn't it that which is sun judged um, the same word is used in Philippians chapter 1, verses 9 and 10, where Paul says, And this I pray that your love may abound still more and more in real knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve the things that are excellent in order to be sincere, oven-tested, and blameless until the day of Christ. And so you're like, what in that world does that mean, right? 
Um, that which his son judged. Well, the picture here is the picture of pottery. And I wanted to read kind of a little summary of that, what James Montgomery Boyce says about this idea of being oven-tested or sun-tested. He says, In ancient times, the biggest industry in the world was the pottery industry. And pottery varied in quality, just as cars, office supplies, or household goods vary today. Right? So all of us can kind of understand that, right? There's, there's this varying degrees of quality. When I, was, when I was growing up, I had a 1977 two-tone Pinto. And that was different from the guy down the street who drove the Jeep, right? A nice Jeep. So uh, pottery varied in quality, just as cars, office supplies, or household goods vary today. The cheapest pottery, listen to this, was thick and solid and did not require much skill to make it. It, was, uh, it is found everywhere at archaeological sites. The finest pottery, however, was different from that. The finest pottery was thin. It had a clear color, and it brought a high price. Fine pottery was very fragile, both before and after firing, and it would often, often crack in the oven. Cracked pottery should have been thrown away, but dishonest dealers were in the habit of filling in the cracks with a hard, pearly wax that would blend in with the color of pottery. This made the cracks practically undetectable in the shops, especially when painted or glazed. So you have this picture of pottery, right? Of this thick pottery. Let's take the thick, not the thin. But you have the picture of the thick pottery, and it's being covered over with wax. That's the picture. To hide what? The inconsistencies, all right? It says, this made the cracks practically undetectable in the shops, especially when painted or glazed, but the wax was immediately detectable, listen to this, when the pottery was held up to the light, especially the sun. The cracks would show up. And so what Peter's saying here is, listen, he's not saying that these guys had perfect minds, but they had sincere minds. They had genuine spiritual minds, and that's what he is appealing to. He's appealing to their sincere, genuine spiritual minds, all right? And so um, for the purpose of, and we're going to see it in just a moment, for the purpose of remembering what they had been taught concerning the coming of Christ. Um, the word, I like what Wayne Barber says here. He says the word sincere refers to something tested by sunlight and proven to be genuine. So in contrast... To the false teachers in chapter 2, he's saying, hey, listen, you guys are sincere. You're genuine, right? You're true believers. And so Peter credits his readers as possessing the mind of genuine believers. And so he's appealing to their sincere mind. He's stirring up their sincere mind for what purpose? Notice verse 2. Verse 2 tells us the purpose. He wants them to remember. Notice verse 2. That you should remember the words spoken beforehand by the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord and Savior spoken by your apostles. So what's he saying? In summary, he's saying this. You could say it this way. He wants them to remember the word. Remember the word, right? Listen, when, when you and I get in a rough spot in a theological argument with someone or a discussion about God or a discussion about creation, we don't need to make things up. We have the source. Listen, as we go on in this argument, you're going to see exactly why Peter's saying, look, remember what's been told to you. 
Remember what the apostles wrote. Remember what the uh, holy prophets wrote. That's the point of the text. Remember the source of the truth. I wrote in my, in my margin, the word should be the believer's go-to. Right? It's my go-to. When I'm being asked questions, it's my go-to. It's not, well, I'm going to try to think of, of, of what Professor so-and-so said. No, let's look at what the Bible says. What does the Bible say? And so this idea of remembering is what uh, Peter focuses on, remembering, and we're going to see he wants him to remember a couple of things. The word remember means to bring to mind or to think of again. Um, most of the New Testament uses of the word communicate the ability to recall things from memory. The ability to call things from memory. If I started saying, what's seven times eight? What's the answer? Oh, boy, hold on a second. This is a really good recall exercise. This is going to be fun. Seven times eight is? How many adults are... Right? You're waiting for the person next to you, right? What are they going to say? Uh, nine times seven is? Wow. These, I think these young people have it, right? Maybe those of us that are older need to be stirred up. You remember those times tables, right, that we had those little flashcards when we were kids and... And he used to be like, man, stop. I remember my mom, she was so committed to that. Um, yesterday, just as a side note, yesterday, my mom's been with the Lord three, three years yesterday. Hard to believe that. But can I tell you something? And this is just a side note. Man, it's wonderful to know that she's in the presence of the Lord because of her faith in Jesus Christ and Him alone. That's it. It's wonderful to know it. I, I, as many funerals and, and things that I've done over the years, um, and some of them have been unbelieving funerals, man, what a sad picture. What a contrast between people who know, right, because the Lord tells us those that belong to him are with him, versus those who are like, well, I guess they lived a good life, and I hope they make it to wherever they're going to go. And you're like, hold on a second, time out. You know, all of us are destined for the grave. <laughs> so, you know, the Lord's going to come for his church. And, I'll, and listen, Paul was like, hey, I hope he comes right. He's thinking, I want him to come now. Well, that's been a while ago. And we want him to come now, but he may not come. But, but do you know him? I guess that's the point. Do you know him? Well, I remember my mom. Every single day, because I remember the grade, third grade was one of the hardest grades because third grade was cursive writing, and I still can't do that. I mix up print and, and like in cursive. It's it's terrible. I, I'm terrible, right? I, I I mean I can I can just barely make out a few letters. It's awful. Uh, on, uh, in contrast, my wife is incredible. She writes beautiful. But my mom was not only committed to help me in terms of writing, which that never got to be really good but times tables. And I remember, I listen, I remember like yesterday, coming home, Thad, before we eat dinner, you're going to do your times tables. Uh, I wanted to eat, right? And then usually, back in those days, it wasn't like refrigerators, young people, weren't like they are today. Um, I don't know how you guys grew up. My, I grew up, in, and I remember coming home, and it was supper at 5 o'clock, and Walter Cronkite at 5.30. I remember that. 
And, and I remember that whatever you had there on the table, that's what you ate. Now, I know that's a foreign concept, like, you know, because Chick-fil-A wasn't right around the corner, and you just couldn't go through a drive-thru, and we're going to feed Fred this and Thad this, and who, you know, no, everybody didn't have a different meal. It was just one meal. And so, listen, this is the way it was with Mom. She's so wonderful. It was times tables, dinner, 10 minutes of Walter Cronkite, because my dad made me watch the news, and then 6 o'clock was more flashcards. Because it was dessert after that, right? And I wanted dessert. Ice cream was good. But she was committed to helping me to remember. And that's the the commitment here that Peter's making, right? He wants them to remember. What does he want them to remember? He wants them to be able to recall what the Old Testament prophets said, what the apostles said. Um, That's what it says in verse 2, that you should remember the words spoken beforehand by the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord and Savior Spoken by your apostles. Um, there's a couple of things we need to note here. First of all, notice that Peter gives equal authority to the Old Testament prophets and apostles. <laughs> That's very important. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 20. Very important. Right? And so um, what we look at as archaic, being the Old Testament, well, really, how much is that? Listen to me. That's very important. Very important. And we need to study the Old Testament. Right? We need to understand the Old Testament. Um, we need to understand the promises that God made to Israel. Because the promises that God made to Israel, outlined in the Abrahamic covenant, listen to me, they're coming true. Right? Jesus Christ is coming back to earth. And he will rule and he will reign on the earth. Well, so he gives equal authority to the prophets and the apostles it's interesting that little phrase, um, yeah, that little phrase right there, spoken beforehand. Um, he says that you should remember the words spoken beforehand by, by the uh, holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord and Savior spoken by the apostles. It's in the perfect tense in the original language and emphasizes the permanence of the prophetic words. In other words, you can rely on what they said, right? You can rely on the word, right? It it wasn't something that, listen, that was their scripture. You can rely on what they said. Um, I think it's very important to to, to consider as we look at this verse, all right? So Peter's saying, listen, remember the source of truth. It's from the holy apostles. And then he says, uh, the commandment of the Lord and Savior spoken by your apostles. I want to give you a couple of examples of this remembering um, because in the light of the context, and this is very important, I'm going to emphasize this over and over again as we go through chapter 3. He's talking about the coming events, the day of the Lord and the coming of Christ. And in the Old Testament, listen, there's a ton of references, but I wanted to kind of give you the mindset of Peter, what he wanted his audience to remember. Um, he wanted them to remember the day of the Lord, that it's coming. Um, the day of the Lord includes, now this is important, and I'll have a chart for you, next time we're together. And I'll put it up there for you to see. But the day of the Lord includes the tribulation period, which is seven years. It includes the thousand-year reign of Christ on the earth. It includes the great white throne judgment and the destruction of the present heavens and earth. Okay? So, from the rapture until eternity. Right? So, in the scriptures, we're told about the coming day of the Lord. 
And a lot of times when you see that phrase, judgment is kind of attached to that. Well, when you look at the tribulation period, and even at the millennial kingdom, there's a lot of judgment going on, right? And notice the way that Isaiah words it. Isaiah chapter 13, Behold, the day of the Lord is coming, cruel, with fury and burning anger, to make the land a desolation, and he will exterminate its sinners from it. For the stars of heaven will not flash forth their light, and the moon will not shed its light. Thus I will punish the world for its evil, and the wicked for their iniquity. I will also put an end to the arrogance of the proud, and abase the haughtiness of the ruthless. I will make mortal man scarcer than pure gold, and mankind than the gold of Ophir. Therefore, I shall make the heavens tremble, and the earth will be shaken from its place at the fury of the Lord of hosts in the day of his burning anger. I want you to stop and think about that for a minute. Um, those aren't just words on a page. It's coming. It's coming. The tribulation period is coming. Three and a half years of false peace, three and a half years of war. At the end of the millennial kingdom, there is another war that's coming. Doesn't last long. There's an uprising. The Bible says, as the sands of the seashore, so is this uprising. Well, in Joel chapter 2, verses 1 and 2, it says again about this judgment, Blow a trumpet in Zion and sound an alarm on my holy mountain. Let all the inhabitants of the land tremble, for the day of the Lord is coming. <laughs> right? So if you're one of the people that, that's reading what Peter's given you, you're like, hey, yeah, this. He is coming. He is coming. And before he comes and he sets his feet in Jerusalem, listen, the Bible says there will be destruction, war. Just read Revelation. So, the Bible also talks about, and I want to kind of give you another scenario here, in terms of this day of the Lord, which includes the millennial uh, kingdom. Notice the picture here that's given to us about the Lord Jesus Christ. It says, and you're like, wow, okay, this is the first coming and second coming. That's right. For a child will be born to us. Who's that? Jesus Christ. A son will be given to us, but now it changes. Look at, the, look at the change. And the government will rest on his shoulders. In his first coming, did the government rest on his shoulders? Answer, no. But it will. Can you imagine him ruling and reigning for a thousand years? No lawyers needed. The government will rest on his shoulders, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. There will be no end to the increase of his government or of peace on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and righteousness from then on and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish this. Listen to me. One day Jesus Christ will come back to the earth and he will rule and he will reign. And do you know, as believers in Christ the church, we get to be a part of that. We don't deserve it. We've done nothing to deserve it. But we get to be a part of that. And so Peter's warning his audience to remember these things that were spoken by the prophets. John Walvoord, who is a tremendous theologian, writes this about the revelation or second coming of Christ. He says, The revelation of the second coming of Christ is one of the most important and frequently mentioned doctrines both in Old and New Testaments. 
And I would say this, one of the doctrines that is ignored the most, I don't know why, but it is. One scholar has estimated that there are 1,845 references to Christ's second coming in the Old Testament alone. So, man, we ought to pay attention to that, right? He's coming. And that's what Peter wanted his audience to do. And in the New Testament, one out of every 25 verses refers to the rapture of the church or to Christ's coming reign. And so he wanted them to remember the words spoken beforehand by the holy prophets. And then we'll end with this. He wanted them to remember the commandment of the Lord. Look the way he says that. That you should remember, recall, the words spoken beforehand by the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord and Savior spoken by your apostles. So when you come to that, you're like, what commandment? Doesn't that just shoot off the page? What's he talking about? What commandment is he referring to? Let me give you two or three um, scenarios. There are some theologians who believe that the commandment there is, is a general reference to the scriptures, to what the apostles said. Okay. All right. Well, that would include everything. Some believe that the commandment he's referring to here is the commandment that Jesus gave his disciples, that they were to love one another, right? Um, okay, that's another option. If you want to go with that, fine. The third option is the one that I kind of like the most because I think it fits the context of the passage. I think the commandment that he's referring to here that was spoken by the apostles is the commandment that he gave them in Matthew chapter 24. I want you to turn there. We're going to end there, Matthew 24. Um, If you guys can get some lunch, we'll talk about all that discourse this afternoon. (laughs) There's a lot here to consider. There's no way we can do that in one morning together. But I think it's important to kind of look at this one. Um, This is kind of the way that I lean toward uh, understanding the commandment. I think the commandment that Peter's giving them is the commandment to um, be on the alert. Be on the alert. Be on the alert, Christ is coming. Be on the alert, Christ is coming. And in the original language, as we're going to see in verses 42 through 44, um, it's an imperative. It's a present tense imperative. Always be on the alert. Always be on the alert. And it's like, hey, look, um, just as an example, and I don't know if this is a good one or not, but here it is. Always be on the alert, parents, that one day, if you have children that be aware of this, that when they turn 15 years old, they want their permit. Be aware of that. If you don't know that, I'm, I'm just giving you the information. They know that day. And they know the 16th birthday because they want their what? Driver's license. And you know what? Parents even take off of school and go get that done, right? So we, we need to be aware of that. Well, here in this passage, in a much stronger, obviously, context, um, the disciples are being alerted about the coming of the Lord. And um, everything hinges on verse 3 of chapter 24. But I just want to read one section that's down further down in verse 37. But let me read verse 3 first. We'll come back to this in a few weeks. He was sitting on the Mount of Olives. The disciples came to him privately saying, Tell us when these things will be. What will be the sign of your coming 
and of the end of the age. And he's talking about the second coming of Christ. This is the context, okay? The context of all that discourse is about the second coming of Christ. If you go down to verse uh, 37, um, he tells us about that. And this is where you see the command to be on the alert. All right, notice verse 37 of chapter 24. It says, For the coming of the Son of Man will be just like the days of Noah. Okay, wow. Now look what was going on in the days of Noah. For in those days, which were before the flood, they were eating and drinking. They were marrying and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark. And they were having the time of their life. Listen to me. Even though the tribulation period will be taking place, there'll be people having the time of their life. Right? Well, the Bible says, verse 39, and they did not understand, oh boy, until when? The flood came. Ouch. Now I want you to circle this next phrase. The flood came and took them all away. Who did it take away? Answer, the unrighteous. That's very important to keep in mind. So shall the coming of the Son of Man be. Now, this is his second coming. Then there will be two men in the field. I've heard people use this in terms of the rapture, and that may be a view, but I don't believe in the context you could argue that at all. He says, then there will be two men in the field. One will be taken, who? The unrighteous, just as the unrighteous was taken back in the days of Noah, and one will be left to do what? Enter the millennial kingdom. That's what's going to take place, and I'll show you the chart in that in just a few weeks. I knew I wasn't going to have time for that today. Um, one will be taken, one will be left. Two women will be grinding at the mill. One will be taken, one will be left. The unrighteous taken, the righteous left. Therefore, hey, it's like, hey, you know, it's that blinking light. Hey, therefore, be on the alert. There's the command. For you do not know which day your Lord is coming. You don't know. But be sure of this, that if the head of the house had known at what time the the night the thief was coming, he would have uh, been on the alert and would not have allowed his house to be broken into. Right? That's something we can kind of picture. For this reason, you be ready too. For the Son of Man, Jesus Christ, is coming at an hour when you do not think he will. So twice in this passage, he tells them to do what? Be on the alert, be on the alert, be on the alert. You know, one of the things that when you study prophecy that's hard for us because we're, we, we live in the church age, it's hard to appreciate what a Jewish mind would have thought in terms of the second coming, right? Can I, can I show you that? Just one more thing before we leave this morning. Go to Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1, real quick. Because even the apostles... thought about this. You know, for the church, we think about the rapture. Um, but a Jewish mind, as you go back to the Old Testament and you study through to the New Testament, they're thinking about the second coming of Christ. There's a large number of passages devoted to that. Um, if you go to Acts chapter 1, um, verse number 6. And so when they had come together, they were asking him, saying, Lord... Is it at this time you're restoring the kingdom to Israel? <laughs> right? Hey, they were all for that. 
He said to them, It is not for you to know times or epochs or seasons which the Father has fixed by his own authority. You know what he does here, guys? He doesn't put them off at all. I mean, some, you could read that and some say, oh, Christ has put them off. No, he doesn't. You know what he does? He gives them here their purpose. Notice verse 8. But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my what? Witnesses. You shall be my witnesses, both in Jerusalem and in Judea, Samaria, even to the remotest part of the earth. Listen to me. I don't know when the Lord's coming for his church, but I know he's coming. I know that. He's coming. The Bible tells us that. 1 Thessalonians 4. He's coming. The Bible tells us that he's coming again to the earth. And all I know is this. As a believer in Christ, I have been charged just like these apostles who were in Jerusalem with the Lord. I've been charged to be witness, to be a witness for the Lord Jesus Christ. And so I trust, listen, as we go through this passage, I don't want you to go, wow, this is a whole lot of stuff. It's like a fire hydrant. It may be. I hope it's not. There's a lot to consider here. But I want you to understand that, that Peter, who was a shepherd, had such a passion for his sheep, he wanted them to know. Listen, because, and I'll close with this. It can be, in the Christian life, right? I mean, we're waiting for the coming of the Lord, for the church. Hey, listen, as we're waiting, you ever get frustrated? No, none of you, none of you. You ever like go, oh my goodness, one more thing, that life hands me one more thing. But listen to me. We can rest in this fact. We don't know what's around the corner in our lives. We don't know the curves. We don't know all the things that are going to come up. But my friends, listen to me. We know because the Bible tells us that Jesus Christ is coming again. And he's coming for those who belong to him. Let's pray together. Lord, I just thank you so much for this passage of Scripture and there's a lot to consider, Lord. Um, it's a pretty enormous section. I really believe Peter's wanting to encourage his readers who had to be really discouraged by the number of people who were trying to lead them astray from the truth. And um, that can get discouraging. Um, even in our day and time, Lord, um, we are a minority those of us who are in Christ. And so it can get discouraging at times. We look at the world around us and we go, wow, these people are they're just committed to themselves and committed to worshiping of themselves and having the comforts of life and all this and that. And, and if we're honest, it's, it's hard for us at times not to kind of get down that road. And So Lord, I pray you would encourage us today. I don't know where everyone is here in this room today. I don't know what's going on in their lives, but... Um, I pray if there's moments of discouragement that have been going on, that you would encourage them with the truth that you're coming again. That you're coming for your church. And that one day, Lord, after you come for your church, the Bible tells us there's going to be this tribulation period and, and there's going to be wars and, 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 and devastation and, and death and all that. And at the end of that time, and the Bible tells us about this battle called Armageddon and it tells us that Jesus Christ is coming and, and the Bible says that, that the church, we're going to be with him. And, and he's going to come and the Bible says he's going to rule and he's going to reign for a thousand years. 
Lord, as I was thinking about all these events, we can get caught up in the specifics. But Lord, I pray that you would just help us to believe that you can come anytime. And then in light of that, as Peter's going to charge his audience, that we would be found holy and blameless, and that we would be walking with you, and that we'd be talking about you, and that we'd be faithfully sharing. Um, Lord, I was thinking about that pottery illustration. We have a lot of cracks in us. <laughs> we thank you for grace that covers that. And I pray, Lord, that today, just today, we would think about our relationship with you and that we would think about our own testimony as you have opportunity for us to share with others that our testimony, Lord, would be beyond I came to know Jesus Christ when I was 12. But it would be, hey, look, this is, listen, that's not only when I came to know Christ, but these are the things that he has taught me and that he's doing in my life. So challenge us, Lord, by your spirit. And we commit all these things to you in the name of Christ. Amen.
As those tremendous. Thank you. Thank you so much. Lord, I think one of the scenes that um, in the future that just grabs me, and I can't even envision all of this that's coming, but uh, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And um, I'm thankful, Lord, we don't have to wait till that day if we belong to you. We can bow every day um, and thank you for who you are and live in submission to you. And I pray that we do that. And Lord, that the opportunities you give us to share with others about the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Lord, you just um, help us to be bold and be aware of the opportunities so that um, others may come to know you and uh, live for you. And so thank you for our time together this morning. I pray that you were honored in what we did.